My name's Jay Sol, a.k.a. Chippewar. I'm from Chippewa, the Thames First Nation, by London, Ontario. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. How you doing, man? I'm all right. Good. Um, last time I saw you, I don't, it was around Boxing Day or something like that. Uh, I dropped by your uh, your store, your studio, there on Queen and Bathurst. Um, there was a couple of things that we talked about. I want to I want to start off there, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, you had set up a new website. I'm trying to remember. It was it was it was templates that you were offering people. To send letters to members of parliament or provincial parliament uh, or things like that. Has, has that gone live now? Um, actually, uh, it goes live February 14th, which is tomorrow. Um, the site is actually called Reclaim Indigenous Arts. Um, and the initiative of the site is, it, it's, it's multi-leveled, but uh, partly it's a, a, an awareness campaign and a call to action. Um, Essentially, what the site is designed to do is to educate people uh, about cultural appropriation um, and essentially who it hurts, mm-hmm. how it hurts, why it's harmful. Um, I don't know if you remember last May uh, in Toronto, there was a lot of controversy about a, a young woman who was appropriating uh, Norvell Morso's work. Yeah, we may have spoken about it uh, here, but I remember that story. Yeah, we spoke on it really briefly because yeah. at the time, you know, it was still, you know, the idea of this site was still in the works and I didn't want to go too much into it. But mm-hmm. essentially, it was partly born out of my interaction with her okay. and how she felt so privileged um, and and entitled to just knock off Norval Morso's work, to appropriate his work. And, mm-hmm. you know, the larger issue was also that it was plagiarism, that a lot of the work that oh. she was producing was was plagiarized work, okay. where she would take one of his paintings and change it by, you know, 5% tops. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it got me thinking about, you know, what made her feel so entitled to do that, right? Okay. And when you when you start digging into that and you look around and for example if you were to walk through Chinatown and you see all of these storefronts carrying uh, you know what looks like indigenous arts and crafts yeah when you look closer at them they're not made by indigenous people they're made in developing nations uh, in 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 you know, internationally made in countries where uh, labor laws aren't the same, you mm-hmm. know, aren't, aren't up to par, working conditions aren't up to par with, you know, uh, you know, Western world standards. Um, and they're actually devaluing indigenous art. So thinking about that and thinking about her and thinking about all these storefronts and all these places that sell knockoff indigenous art, it made me think about what can I do um, to change that. Um, also working with an art gallery in Montreal, uh, the Ashikan cultural space in old Montreal is one of the only native owned, hmm. uh, art galleries in old Montreal. Okay. And so I show my work with that gallery and yeah. I'm good friends with the owner, Nadine. Yeah. And I called Nadine and, um, I had contemplated opening a gallery for 
uh, Indigenous artists in Toronto. So I called her to pick her brain about that. Yeah. And also in, within that conversation, you know, she pointed out to me, you know, why, you know, essentially talked me out of it, not to do it. Really? Why is that? Well, it's because it, her gallery in Old Montreal um, is surrounded by all these other galleries and gift shops. And all of those galleries and gift shops who are selling um, Indigenous-made arts and crafts are mm. selling the non-Indigenous-made arts and crafts. Mm. So her her space is a cultural incubator. So what she does is she buys from the North okay. uh, and then sells in the South. And she buys from communities surrounding her and other, uh, and, and other places and then sells them in her store. But she pays the artist fair market value for that work mm-hmm. and then has to mark it up. Yeah. And what happens is, how, how does she take a dream catcher that she's paying $35 for Fair, to yeah. the artist? Yeah. How does she then mark that up to $70, $80 to make, you know, generally it's like sure. 2.5 on, on retail is the markup. Yeah. How can you sell it for that when everyone else surrounding you is selling dream catches that are say twenty dollars yeah which they're only paying you know plastic and well they're they're metal uh with plastic and you know faux feathers Hmm. and um you know they're they're selling those and it's devaluing the work of of real uh indigenous authentic indigenous art Hmm. um and and so what does this website do well, one, it's like I said, is a, an awareness campaign, okay. and, and, uh, and and the idea is to educate people about what is cultural appropriation. Okay, you know, who does it hurt? Yeah. Why is it harmful? And and how can you uh, not support it? And mm-hmm. how you can support Indigenous artists? So, when you think about cultural appropriation. Um, and why this young lady was so entitled to, to do it is because she's grown up her whole life yeah. surrounded by cultural appropriation. And the largest um, um, criminal, I would call it a criminal offense of cultural appropriation is Canada. Mm -hmm. Canada has appropriated Indigenous land. They've uh, appropriated Indigenous uh, people. Mm -hmm. They've appropriated our our children, our women. They've taken so much from us. So when when you sit back and you see that's why she's so entitled, my, my, uh, my idea is not to go after the little people like her because really with education and an open mind, mm-hmm. she would possibly change her behavior when she really understands, um, you know, how it's harmful and who she's hurting when she does it. Yeah. There is no way to do it as, as appreciation, as she put it. Sure. Um, so you think about INAC. Uh, INAC. INAC is... Um, Man, terrible with acronyms. Uh, mm-hmm. INAC, we know it as uh, Indigenous and Northern Affairs is what they go by now, right? Okay, okay, yeah, um, yeah. So INAC from 1876 to I believe it was 1956, um, they confiscated Indigenous art and crafts and ceremonial items. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a ton of stuff was was taken. Not only that, our ancestors were dug up and put into museums. So that's mm. that's cultural appropriation. So their Canada is the largest offender of cultural appropriation by doing that. Wow. So when you think about all these museums that you go to mm-hmm. uh, worldwide and Canada, a lot of the, all of these collections are stolen. They, they, they were confiscated from indigenous people. They weren't given as gifts. Yeah. They were confiscated. Um, and then when you go into those gift shops, those gift shops are carrying culturally appropriated 
internationally made indigenous arts and crafts. Yeah. It reminds me, I went this weekend to see, uh, do you know Phelan Johnson? Yes. Yeah. I went to go see her play, Ipperwash. Yep. Uh, at Daniel Spectrum, heavy. I don't know if you've seen it or not. Actually, you, I was in, I was invited to go to it, and I was just having just a terrible day, and I was you know yeah. I just wasn't up for going. I know it was a, as a heavy show, it's, so I just it, didn't, it was very heavy. But yeah. you, you talked about digging up um, the remains of, of family members, uh, uh, taking over land and things like that, and it reminded me of that of that show uh, this this weekend. Um, but she also has, uh, and I'm learning a lot because she has this podcast. Uh, as well, I think it's called the Secret History of Canada. Um, so she, t- it was interesting. Uh, last last March break, we went to Calgary, um, and then we went to Banff and Lake Louise for a couple of days, uh, and we loved it there. And I listened to her podcast, and she talks about her and her co-host talk about how um, Banff, which is this, which you know most people most Canadians know is this beautiful. Uh, piece of land um, was appropriated. Well, you know? uh, stolen. Stolen. Yeah, stolen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, stolen is yeah. really what it is, right? Yeah. And and um, it's interesting since I've since I've met you, things you know that you talk about. You know, where did you get your dream catcher from, and all these sorts of things um, are like in the front of my mind. Um, but uh, it, it was a, if if anyone has not seen Ipperwash, uh, highly recommend. Uh, you go to see it. It'll really open your eyes. Absolutely. Um, to to a lot of things. You know, and that's that's what the site is actually about. Is about education, right? And yeah. It's about education and holding the correct people responsible. Because when it comes down to cultural appropriation, if the people at the very top, which is our government, mm-hmm. which is the Canadian government, held accountable for their role in cultural appropriation, yeah, and they put bylaws in place and they put. Uh, a, um, well, city bylaws in place, but also like federal bylaws in place and, and things uh, to protect indigenous art and artists. Um, the trickle down goes down to people like that, that woman who was, was you know, knocking off Norvell Morso's work. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, the trickle down will go to the actual producers, I'm thinking, right? Well, that's, of, that's, yeah. Of absolutely. these original pieces that, yeah. that they finally, you know, we're always, um, you know, the government and, and, and civil society is always trying to figure out how do we make life better. And, and you know, it's not the way, but it is a way to uh, enable uh, the the artists who create these original works um, to actually get paid by putting in place, you know, programs or, or laws um, or, or rules that um, disallow people to knock off these sorts of things, um, especially as you know, the original founding peoples of, of, of Canada, right? Exactly. And, you know, the, the, the big picture of what I would like to push with this campaign is there's Canada's hot button, uh, you know, buzzword of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. You know, reconciliation is important because it's, it's uh, put a lot of these issues into the forefront. Um, reconciliation, though, is focusing on the past. Um, mm. of, of, of what they say is so we don't make the same mistake again. So I, I think that's really important. Um, but what I feel is, uh, is most important right now is economic reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And the way you handle economic reconciliation is you protect 
our, our number one independent economy. And our number one independent economy is the arts. And that comes mm. down to uh, musicians, uh, actors, actresses, um, uh, uh, visual artists, carvers, um, you know, the, beat, uh, the beaters, the, the moccasin makers, um, every facet within the creative arts. Yeah. That is our number one economy. Mm. It is our number one independent economy and it needs to be protected. Yeah. So one of the things included in the website is, um, is the UN's Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. And we're calling on Justin Trudeau to, um, to, to implement it. Yeah. They, Canada's adopted the UN's Declaration, mm -hmm. but they haven't implemented it. Mm -hmm. And by implementing the UN's Declaration, it actually gives us protection over intellectual property, which, uh, you know, and what I'm describing it of creative sure. arts yeah. and storytelling, etc. Yeah. So the website is Reclaim Indigenous Arts. ReclaimIndigenousArts.com. There's, um, uh, you know, essentially what it is. It's a, a writing letter, uh, a letter writing campaign. You go onto the site. You can read through all the information. You get uh, towards the bottom. It's got four PDFs on there that you can print out. So there's the one that goes to Justin Trudeau. Uh, there's one that goes to your local city government. And the one, the idea behind that one is, is that. You know, I don't know if you remember years back, um, the shark fin soup ban that mm, happened in yes, Toronto. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So due to public outcry, Toronto banned shark, the sale of shark fin soup. Yeah. And for, for good reason. Um, I believe if Toronto wants to be on the, on the uh, uh, you know, the leader within reconciliation, mm -hmm. um, especially within this city, is to ban the sale of these internationally made knockoff Indigenous arts and crafts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, do an educational campaign on why it's wrong to sell them. Give, we, we, you know, give, give stores and businesses an opportunity to remove them from their shelves mm -hmm. and then replace those with authentic made Indigenous arts and crafts. Yeah. Um, there's another PDF on there, which is for people, non-Indigenous practitioners of, you know, Indigenous uh, spiritual sort of practices you know those guru you know sure non-native gurus okay there's a plenty of those you come across one you can send them a letter letting them know what they're doing is wrong um and why they should stop mm -hmm. uh, and then there's another one that goes to um you know galleries and gift shops mm -hmm. and uh the idea behind that is again those galleries and gift shops say in wawa ontario are selling these this uh, you know these these knockoffs yeah. the idea is just to send them a letter to say hey exactly here's what you're doing is wrong what you're doing is wrong here's how you can correct it mm -hmm. um, and then the last portion of the site is about for me it's about helping my brothers and sisters out on the powwow trail it's helping my other uh you know aunties and uncles and grandmothers and sisters out there who create this art and whose work has been devalued. For me, it doesn't really re reflect my work. My work is completely far removed from this, but I spend from fall or, or fall to, uh, sorry, summer to fall all on the, on the, on the powwow trail. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I see, you know, a lot of the same people on the Ontario powwow trail. And even within the, the ones I make it into the U S and those people struggle to make a living for their family doing their arts and their crafts. Yeah. Um, so imagine a city like Toronto who bans 
takes the first step in banning all of this internationally made uh, product mm -hmm. and supports indigenous artists to replace all of that stuff and to stock those shelves. Mm -hmm. You know, think of what that does economically for those communities that they're able to stay within their communities uh, with their families, not have to leave the community where they can stay and, um, you know, get more uh, involved w in their community and, and, and learning and then continue a craft um, that's been passed down to them by their family mm -hmm. and be able to support their families and stay there and pass that down to younger generations and, and so on. So, yeah. you know, it's it's a hopefully it's, you know, people take to it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, looking forward to seeing, you know, what happens, but also looking forward to supporting that. Um, definitely. So that, that's I appreciate that. Yeah. No worries, man. Um, another thing that we, we chatted about was um, I'd, I had, re you know, when we had met, I had recently gone to um, the July Talk concert uh, at Massey Hall. And uh, and I had also seen July Talk in the summertime. And one of the things I mentioned to you, and I, was, I felt when I was looking back, I was excited to tell you this thing, that um, the, um, the lead singer, she, um, at, at the concert at Massey Hall, they were about to go into a song and she stopped the song um, to do this... Um, I believe it's called like a land acknowledgement. Yeah. Um, and you had some thoughts on that. You know, I told you, you know, she did this land acknowledgement thing and you said that's all well and good, but I think there needs to be more. Yeah. Um, tell me about that. Well, I think, uh, I think at first when I heard land acknowledgements, it always made me cringe and I, and, the, and okay. you know, it always sort of bothered me. And, you know, as they've continued on, I think they, they've, uh, you know, they're slowly being adjusted. Um, I, 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 my issue with them is that, um, well, I'll start with the positive. I think the positive uh, uh, thing behind land acknowledgement is that it's letting people know, yeah. um, that the land that they're on is stolen land mm. and they're acknowledging the people who were there before. I think where it needs to go further is that it needs to be, um, it needs to, you need to elaborate a little bit more on just saying, you know, this is the traditional, uh, land and territory of such and such, you know, and we're honored to be here, et cetera. However, however they go, I, I tend to tune out when I hear them. Um, what I, what personally, when I hear that, I think back to my own community. Uh, my own community at one time, our, our treaty territory is 2 million acres. Mm -hmm. So we've been reduced from 2 million acres, which our 2 million acres goes from Sarnia to Godrich yeah. in Ontario, southwestern Ontario. So 2 million acres is our treaty territory, yet today we sit on 9,000 of that 2 million acres. Mm -hmm. on, on my reserve, an acre of land be sold between us sells for maybe $800 to $1,200. Wow. You, you cross an invisible line yeah. and that land becomes worth twelve to fifteen thousand dollars because that area in southwestern Ontario is lush mm -hmm. uh, farmland it's the most southerly point in in Canada yeah. as far as uh, climate uh, for for farmland yeah so to me if you're in my territory and and you're gonna do a land acknowledgement I believe you should know a little bit more about the community that you're talking about so mm. for me I would say yeah. you know you're uh, you know here we sit on the traditional territory of the Chippewas of the Thames First Nation uh, their traditional or, or sorry their treaty territory of two million acres yet this community sits on nine thousand acres of their two million acres mm -hmm. so I, I believe acknowledging sure where you are but acknowledging as well what you took yeah and then 
I think that opens up a conversation about um, what you can do to give it back or how you can support us yeah. in getting our land back. Right? You, also, you also talked about how many people have been displaced, um, the economic impact as well. So, you know, if we talk about um, um, the area that you're from, um, what, what, are, what are some of those numbers, if you, if you, if you were to guess? I mean, the displacement is, you know, Canada wide, right? You know, that uh, I, I can't really speak to the numbers on yeah. it, but I just, I, I know the, you know, my community of 2,600 members, 1,200 uh, or so live on reserve. Out of those 1,200, only roughly 300 or so are employed, mm -hmm. which leaves around nine 900 unemployed in a, a, a partial uh, number of that would be some young people and students sure. but so there's a very 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 high poverty rate yeah and uh, I recently met uh, I did a workshop with some students in uh, in Ajax and mm -hmm. you know so we did some math you know um, and if you were to understand that if if 900 of our 1200 on reserve uh, residents live in poverty um, we question why are they living in poverty when we are the rightful owners of that by, land? by no but not of that particular piece of land right we're talking that treaty territory this okay. is by law our yeah. treaty territory of two million acres so if you when you take fifteen thousand uh dollars per acre and you times that by two million mm. it's 30 billion dollars our land is worth Right. So you take thirty billion dollars and you divide that over twenty six hundred members. Mm -hmm. Personally, I would say I'm worth around eleven million dollars in land. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, you'd have to say maybe you know for future generations you would you know that our, our population is going to grow. So you know you would adjust that number. Let's add knock it down sure. to say I would even be happy to say half that. Yeah. You know? um, that's that's a lot of money. Yeah. Right. And think of all the things that have happened within my traditional uh, our treaty territory, mm -hmm. the towns that are there, all the taxes that's been collected, all the revenue that's been taken out of there through resource extraction. Yeah. Um, it, it's a ton of money that we should be entitled to that revenue. Right. Mm -hmm. That tax revenue that you're charging Canadian citizens for the use of our traditional territory, we should be reaping money. We, we should be reaping money from that. Right. So that's that to me is kind of the nutshell of where if you're doing it about, you know, the Mississauga of New Credit, who's yeah. the closest to Toronto. Yeah. You know, talk about what they've lost. Yeah. Talk about what they had. Mm -hmm. Talk about what they've lost and talk about how you're going to work to help giving it back. In every community, any time land acknowledgments, I, I believe, are done. Yeah. Um, you started off 2018, and I hope you don't mind me talking about this. Let me know. Um, two years sober, so I want to say congratulations oh, thank you. on that. Um, and you sort of wrote it on, on, on Facebook, sort of your, your, your mantra, your mantra for, for 2018. Um, you know, you sort of thanked your community and your friends and family. Um, and then you sort of, you know, made a statement. Here's what I'm going to be doing. Um, so you have a motto, challenge, disrupt, and indigenize. Yes. Um, tell me about that. What does that mean to you? Well, the challenge, you know, it's, it's, you know, just challenge everything, you know, question everything and challenge, uh, challenge racism, challenge homophobia, challenge, uh, Islamophobia, challenge every, um, person who's out there who is just shitty 
and challenge mm-hmm. the government when they are pushing against our people, um, you know, and you know, disrupt. I mean, that's, you know, I'm, I'm known to disrupt. It's, mm-hmm. it's what I've been doing through my artwork. And, and the idea is I don't ever want to do disrupt in a, in a destructful way. That's not ever what I'm trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. It's to di- disrupt in a way that makes you think, really makes you think in a way that, you know, I like to I like to give a solid point and and really convey a message with disruption, mm-hmm. and and I guess indigenize is, you know, there's there's all this talk about uh, decolonization, and decolonization is the is the job of of settlers, um, it isn't the job of indigenous peoples to decolonize. That that's your job. That's the, the rest of Canada's job. Mm-hmm. My job as an indigenous person is to indigenize. So everywhere that I go. Uh, if I'm doing street art in Toronto, or uh, is is to indigenize a piece of Toronto with some of with, with some indigenous art. If I'm going to do uh, any music, is to to make indigenous music, to make uh, uh, indigenous clothing, to to everything that I live and breathe is to is to try to indigenize, uh, you know, Turtle Island as much as I can. Yeah, I guess related to that is is one of these pieces that I saw. Um, you do uh, blues for red dress or redress? Well, how do you? Uh, you know, it was blues for red dress, and that was for Jamie Black's art residency with U- uh, University of Toronto. Yeah. Um, and that was a. I was asked to participate and submit some work. Um, That's a beautiful piece, by the way. Thank you. Um, you know, and uh, Jamie Jamie Black's work is beautiful, and and she um, you know she did the red dress project, which was you know taking uh, the red dresses and and uh, hanging them up, and um, you know. In, in different spaces as, as a reminder for people to, you know, think about, uh, you know, the over 1,200 missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls uh, throughout Canada. Mm-hmm. What's, there, there's, there's been a lot of news about that over the past, I don't know, a couple of years maybe, um, that, that, um, that whole process um, has been fraught with difficulties yeah what are your what are your like what's 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 happening because it, it sounds like to me it sounds like okay there's there's some forward movement but it seems like there's a, there's a lot of um not a lot of people are happy with what's happening yeah um i i believe you know uh little justin trudeau there used it as uh, as a as a, a campaign promise to secure the indigenous vote and unfortunately for us we bought into that and we believed him personally mm-hmm. I didn't I wouldn't vote for him but um, a lot of the indigenous community bought into it I knew uh, you know I'm a bit jaded and cynical uh, t- to be honest but sure. I, I knew from the start that it was an empty promise and that it would be set up to fail and that's exactly what has been done it's been set up in a way to fail um, to, to say we're coming good on our promise, but it's just so difficult, and it's on. And, and to them, we're we're just not achieving it right, and they're gonna scrap it. You know, it, it, there's 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 nothing that's gonna that's I believe is gonna come come from it. Mm. Um, the, the whole process is flawed, and I I've uh, you know I've done quite a bit of work to, in supporting uh, uh, different campaigns for missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, and you know I feel I feel really disheartened knowing. In the beginning, that's that's how it was set up. How would you? How would? How should it have been set up, or how should it be set up? Well, I think 
you know, it's a really, it's a really hard uh, thing to answer. I, I think first and foremost was, was having, uh, having the right people in place to, to, to know that it was being um, done correctly. And I think the way to do that was definitely having uh, a very large uh, indigenous, um, um, fo uh, a large indigenous uh, group of people uh, leading it. Mm -hmm. You also have some thoughts on the uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Oh yeah, again, that's just a pile of shit, to be honest. You know, I, from the very beginning, that I another another sort of uh, thing that was just set up, set up not not was it wasn't set up to work, and it wasn't set up to work fast. Um, I've listened in on uh, uh, Senator St. Clair, Murray St. Clair. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a speaking engagement one saying, you know, the TRC's recommendations aren't going to happen in a year, two years. This is going to take 15, 20 years to implement. Well, you know, <laughs> it's been written in a way that it will take 15, 20 years to implement. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you've read through it. but No, I have know, not. My friends and I will play a game where we've sat there and we've opened it on an iPhone and we'll randomly scroll through and we'll, we'll land on one of the recommendations. And as a grassroots thinker and artist and from our perspective, how we would handle that and we would, we would attack it would be in a completely different way than how it's been written. It's been written through uh, colonialized, through a colonial mindset. Um, mm -hmm. And... I don't. I don't think it's been really set up to um, to be achieved in, in a timely manner. It's been it's been set up, I believe, to save face to the international community that Canada has done wrong, and they want to save face and they want to make it look like they're making an effort. Hmm. Um, in the news recently, um, you know, like very very recently. Um, you know, we've, we've been having this discussion around Colton Bushi. Um, I, it, it'd be remiss of me if I didn't ask you about that. You're, you're, it's, it's still fresh for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I can't begin to understand it, yeah. but you know, do you have any thoughts? Um, you know, like my heart goes out to him and his family and it's, an absolute, you know, it's just an absolute uh, miscarriage of justice. Um, I've kind of chosen not to really say a whole lot on social media because I felt that I would be, all I would really have to add to the conversation is anger. Um, I think over the last like three, four days, I've had some time to sort of like soak it in. And it's been a really shitty couple of days of just really emotional um you know, you hear all the all the all the interviews uh, on on CBC and other radio stations and, and news, and you know it's just messed up. You know, at, at at the end of the day, you know, not to find him guilty of manslaughter um, essentially says that you know they didn't find him guilty of what he did, which was shoot a man in the back of the head. Um, I personally like to believe that maybe. Quite possibly it was an accident. I mean, who shoots a sleeping man in the back of the head on purpose? And even I, if it was an accident, isn't it still manslaughter? It's still manslaughter if it's an accident or not. I mean, at the same time, who puts their arm inside a car with their finger on the trigger or, or, or their hand 
their gun inside the car to turn off keys. I mean, it's careless. Um, at the same time, it's really easy to say, just to shoot a guy in the back of the head and say it was an accident, you know? So it's, you know, it's really hard for me, but, you know, I like to believe that, it, part of me likes to believe that it was an accident, right? Mm -hmm. But, I mean, there's so much to think about in this that, you know, we know the justice system towards Indigenous people is flawed. We're, dis we're disproportionately represented in, in the courts and in prisons, you know, child child welfare. Um, we, we, we know we're targeted. And, you know, would it have been a different uh, outcome if it was an all-Indigenous uh, jury? I believe so, but I don't think it would have taken an all-Indigenous jury to convict. I mean, uh, they say that a jury is is made of, uh, uh, of your peers. Mm -hmm. Well, if... If, if it's made up of his peers, his peers aren't the people who live in his area. Your peers are are brown people. They're black people. They're they're uh, Chinese, Japanese. They're 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 people from all over the world mm. because Canada is that cultural melting pot of everybody. So the way to do it would be to have representation. You know inclusive of a lot of different ethnicities and, and uh, cultural backgrounds and religious backgrounds. And, and you know, that that's the way to have an, uh, I believe, to have an unbiased jury, right? Hmm. You know? Um, I'll leave it there because I know it's, it's still fresh and stuff. But um, almost related to that, Jay, is your... Um, you don't like the CBC. No, I do. I do uh, you know, I, I don't say I, I you dislike know what? I, them. I, I think I think the proper way to put it is that you um, you're fair and everything. You don't you don't say just because I I agree with you or I like you one way doesn't mean that you do wrong things the other way. Um, one of the things that um, astonishes me at times is so there, there's a number of radio shows that I'll listen to, and, and I'm a, I'll I'll be honest with you, I'm a, I'm a fan of um, CBC Radio. Like a lot of the things that they do, are there things that I that I listen to that I don't like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it was very interesting. They There's this Sunday call-in show. Um, so, oh, my. I, sh I should know the name of this show. Cross-Country Checkup. Yeah, with Duncan McHugh. Yeah. yeah. I know the show. Yeah. And um, sounds like a very well-spoken guy. I like him better than the previous host. Yeah, I've, I've met Duncan. I sat on a panel with him before. Yeah, and so it's interesting. He had this gentleman on, and I believe the name of this guy's group with his Facebook page is... Um, Farmers for firearms or firearms for farmers and the guy identified himself and there was a you know 10 minute discussion you know and and I you know I, I can understand Duncan wanted to get the other side of you know um, you know the farmers in, in Saskatchewan and their thoughts um, and then there's another show on CBC called The Current which is usually a good show and I believe they had the same person on or they had the, uh, someone from the same group and the current allowed this person to come on and not identify himself. I, that was last night. I heard that. Yeah. I, I heard him. Yeah. Um, I think you're a coward for not identifying yourself, for one. Yeah. Um, I didn't get to hear the, the whole thing. But, um, you know, even within that interview, I think he mentioned that something like it's like 50-50 that they're dealing with, uh, you know, property theft and, and people doing, uh, you know, uh, harmful things to their communities. Um that it's not just indigenous people that he they he he identified it as you know it's pretty pretty 50 50 you know which i think is uh 
you know, as far as I'm concerned, if it's 50-50, there's a larger Indigenous community out there than there is non-Indigenous. So, you know, who's who's worse? You know, if it's 50-50, it means your people, there's less of your people there, but they're doing just as much shitty stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know. It's 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 a it's a strange thing, and um, you know, I th- I think I agree with you in terms of you know would an uh, all indigenous jury have made a difference? I don't know. I think I think they would have yeah. at least. I think it's admit- more systematic. You know what I'm saying? I think they definitely would have come back with manslaughter. There's no doubt about that. That I mean, shocked under, me. Under, under under you know Canadian law, you know he was guilty of manslaughter, mm-hmm. accident or not. Um, funny enough, there was a post I saw someone make. Uh, an Indigenous person said, "My friend." was horsing around with his buddy uh, play wrestling at the top of a set of stairs and accidentally pushed him and his friend fell and died. He was charged with manslaughter and convicted and he's serving prison sentence for manslaughter. So in a way that a man accidentally pushes his friend down some stairs and he dies while they're play wrestling. Horse playing, yeah. Horse playing. um, Gets convicted of manslaughter. Yet a man who shoots another man in the back of the head while he's sleeping isn't convicted of manslaughter it's 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 disgusting right absolutely um but sorry maybe just to no. stop you there on that yeah, yeah. on the on the one issue you asked about my my post with i i know what you're talking about when i said you know the caucasian uh Broadcasting Corporation, yes. CBC i mean yes. that that there was a clear reason why that was Tell i mean me. CB, cbc I like CBC a lot. I love a lot of their radio shows. I love a lot of the programming that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, they've supported me in my work several times, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm grateful for that. What my problem is, is if, you know, what I was uh, speaking to was a current issue is the headlines that they were posting about Colton and his family. Okay. Opposed to how they were presenting a white serial killer as a Santa Claus and him smiling and him, you know, where he goes to vac- on vacation, etc. And then how they were presenting uh, Tina Fontaine's case as the young indigenous woman in, in uh, Winnipeg who was murdered. Mm. Um, you know, how CBC was presenting those headlines, again, was stereotypically was stereotyping indigenous people, but weren't doing the same thing, um, weren't were giving those same headlines to a non-indigenous person. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you can look up up the feeds on those, and, and you know, people had gone in and and started correcting what those headlines should have looked like. Yeah, you know, I think it was the Globe and Mail retracted on it and and apologized, but it was I, I, I from what I recall, it was pretty half-ass. And and for me, you know, that just goes. To show, uh, it isn't just CBC. It's how all media is biased and, and towards a certain group. And I believe that that's you know the certain group is white people, right? Is mm-hmm. uh, not not definitely not minorities. So, um, you know, I think it's even myself personally. Back last May, when I spoke out against this young woman uh, appropriating Norvell Morso's work. The interviews that I did with CBC, um, and with her, and and with this young lady, I believe they are presented in a in a biased way, mm-hmm. favoring her. What it did is it made the indigenous community look like, well, we're all the the angry Indians are at it again, type thing, mm-hmm. um, and it gave her a platform. And what that opened me up to was a shitload of hate mail. 
I got probably 50 pieces of hate mail sent to my email. Wow. Some really completely violent. Others that, you know, were just you know, kind of lame. One guy saying that I, I, he hopes I get knifed to death in the street and die, uh, you know, drown in a pool of my own blood. Um, to people accusing me of cultural appropriation because my work, uh, you know, I, I, I indigenize pop art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe if CBC had presented it in a way that it was biased, that they weren't really taking sides, that it, it would have created a, a different conversation and would allow people to actually look at it critically and think about it critically rather than when you see it, someone being elevated. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it gives you the sense of entitlement that, you know, you see, Oh, the, the, the fucking Indians again, always, you know, and we do this and get off the, you know, get off the welfare and we support, you know, all these, cra- the craziest shit I got in those, you know, and I actually called CBC out on that. I wrote them an email re- replying to the, and, and, you know, and they got back to me and they said, no, well, I, I, well, I had wrote them saying, you know, I feel that you presented the story biased and that it's opened me up to a whole bunch of hate mail because of the way the story was presented. It's not just me who feels that it's the whole indigenous community is also saying the same thing. And they replied to me by saying, no, well, we stand by our journalism. You know, we were just showing both sides of the story and whatever. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that was the case. And there's something to be said that I've heard this both sides of the story. You know, there's this, there's, there was the issue with with this election down in the States um, about presenting both sides fair and balanced. And I disagree with that. I I don't, I, I think I understand the thinking behind it. But I think the execution is is, is way wrong. Um, you know, there's there's there there seems to be this um, this this drive for news organizations to be fair and balanced when maybe there isn't something that's fair and balanced when a settler community has totally dominated an, an indigenous community. Um, the fair and balanced thing, in my view is to shine a bigger spotlight on the good things of the indigenous community. Um, That's trying to be fair and balanced rather than saying, we've got this one piece, let's make this one piece fair and balanced, you know? But I want to ask you, Jay, about this. You've had people um, come at you in terms of, you know, them saying you're culturally appropriating because of some of your work that you do. Um, and you talked about indigenizing pop culture, indigenizing pop art. Mm-hmm. Um, ex- explain for the people that will listen to this, the difference between some of the stuff that you've done, let's say, for example, um, versus, um, you know, a store down the street, maybe that gets dream catchers from China. What's the, what's the difference there in your eyes? Well, there's a clear, distinct difference, and um, cultural appropriation is uh, when another group or people take a group uh, or, or customs or artwork or other things from an, uh, uh, an oppressed group. So the difference of mm. that is indigenous people have been oppressed and taken from, and no, you know, white settlers are the dominant force. So me taking, uh, for example, what I do with um, a movie poster art and indigenizing it, yeah. it's actually uh, doing it in a way that is to shine a light on cultural appropriation, to shine a light on the appropriation that happens within in Hollywood specifically. How uh, 
indigenous people are, are portrayed as the savage or from the savage to the noble back to the savage um and you know and my work kind of just is to to really just to, to speak about that and um and to be honest pop art is for everybody pop art isn't isn't uh culturally significant pop art has been designed for everybody yeah um it, it's it's not culturally significant uh uh things that have deep meaning or or in something someone like norvell's uh work that um now is used uh to educate our young people who have lost connection to their communities mm. um you know indigenous you know me indigenizing pop art i mean i i think it's it, it definitely isn't cultural appropriation you know it's people are are completely misguided when they when they say that yeah um there's there's a there's a ton of stuff, Jade. To be honest with you, that I you know I'll I'll go through the papers or go online or, or things that that pop up in the headlines. One of the things that I literally had no clue. The name sounded familiar, so maybe I did. You know, Grassy Narrows, First Nation. The um this, this talk about you know mercury poisoning for for many many years that apparently the government knew yeah. about, and it's just now, you know, apparently they knew about this. Uh, I don't know, back in the seventies, I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, if if I if I remember correctly, and just now, you know, in 2018, that we're finding out that yeah, we knew. Um, it's crazy. It's it's, it's really Absolutely. it's really really crazy. I I have a question for you. Um, as non-indigenous people, as as settlers, what what would you recommend that that we do? on a daily basis, on a regular basis, to, to not only just um, educate ourselves, but to take action some in some shape? Well, I think first and foremost is what you said, is educate yourself. But also, when you have friends or colleagues or family members um, who are saying derogatory things about indigenous people, mm -hmm. um, that you stand up for us and that you, uh, become allies with us mm -hmm. and that you fight for us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just spoke on the thing about Grassy Narrows is if the government now after 30 some years, 35 years is finally admitting that they knew the whole time, you have to ask yourself, what else do they know about? How else do they know? Do you think they don't know that we're over we're overrepresented uh, in, in prisons? Mm -hmm. That we have more uh, we're overrepresented uh, in in um, child welfare. Um, that uh, we have the highest rates of diabetes. We have the highest rates wow. of AIDS and HIV. Um, and you you think the government doesn't know about these things? Um, they they clearly know about these. This is. Uh, this is something that when you when you see something like Grassy Narrows, um, that you you have to ask the question: What else do they know about? Mm -hmm. What else are they complicit in? Mm -hmm. You know, what other secrets do they have? And when you hear Indigenous people telling you these things, um, don't brush them off as conspiracy or complaining or paranoid. Take take some time to think about what they're saying and 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 and. Uh, look at the evidence with an open mind or look at what they're saying with an open mind mm -hmm. and, and support, right? It's yeah. just, it comes down to supporting yeah, and, and challenging, right? Challenging people who, who, you know, challenging racists, right? 
there's a couple you know you've you've talked about your um your dislike with with justin trudeau there's a couple of elections happening coming up this year you know we've got the municipal election new mayor of toronto yeah or maybe it'll be the same mayor yeah uh and then there's a provincial election as yeah. well um i don't want to ask who should we vote for because I, I don't think that's the right question but what sort of questions should we be asking and what sort of challenges should we be putting up there for our political leaders i mean honestly i don't really have too much of an opinion on 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 it uh, but from my point of view is i don't vote for any of them they're not my leaders they're mm. they're canada's leaders um indigenous people in canada have been nationalized civically nationalized against their will which is an international war crime to civically nationalize citizens so they're i don't i'm not a a, a member of shouldn't be a member of canada i've been forced to become a member of canada and then when you think about really the oh disgusting there's a woman walking by in a hudson's bay jacket tell me about that after we'll get we'll, we'll talk about that for sure gross <laughs> that, it just turns my stomach every time i see one of those um I think don't vote at all. You know, you're voting regardless on which party you're voting for. It's all the same bird, right? They say the left and the right wing belong to the same bird. Mm. No matter who you're voting for, um, you know, one side may give a little sprinkle, then the other side gives a little sprinkle. And this is, it's a game that goes back and forth. I don't believe it's a real democracy. I believe it's a control. It's an illusion of democracy controlled by by government, you know. And people will call you paranoid. They'll call you crazy for saying shit like that. But, I mean... When you really think consciously about it, that's what it is. It's the same bird. So mm. it doesn't really matter who you vote for. You know, whatever agenda is they want to push, whatever party wants to push that agenda, it's going to be pushed and it's going to go through. Mm. You know? Have you ever been um, inclined to vote? or? Actually, I, I haven't. You know, I just, I, I feel like by me voting is participating in something I don't belong in. Right. Mm. I'm I don't consider myself a Canadian. I'm a I'm a card carrying Indian. You know, I'm a status Indian. As far as I'm concerned, I'm Anishinaabe. I'm I don't want to be Canadian. Mm. I, I want to be Anishinaabe. I want our sovereign rights. I want to live separately uh, from the Canadian government. That's that's uh, we want to live independently. We want our sovereign rights to be honored and they're not honored. So for me to participate in an election would be me, you know, participating in uh the crown's game i guess right hmm. anything else you want to chat about well it's funny how you said yeah the, yes hudson the, bay yeah, the yeah hudson's yeah. bay jacket i, I just, first i thought you like somebody got hit by a car no if wearing the jacket why well, i'd feel bad for for if they got hurt but um no the i just did a inst a, a performance piece um over at the hudson's bay Oh. And uh, it's a. I'm sure they didn't invite you. No, I wasn't invited. Um, and and the, and the weird thing was is uh, it didn't really go to how I thought it would go, which is different. So I'm going to explore it again. But uh, I won't really say so much what the performance piece sure. was. Yeah, it's yeah. something that you know is a, an ongoing project. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it it was it, it's really to to call out the Hudson's Bay, uh, and particularly that iconic striped uh 
logo, you know, with the, those yellow, colors, yellow, white. green, white, blue, yeah, yeah. stripe thingy. Um, to me, it's the equivalent of, uh, of a swastika, you know. Um, the Hudson's Bay Company for 345 years in Canada have exploited the land and the people. Um, at one time, the Hudson's Bay Company was the largest independent landholder uh, owner in Canada. Um, and, you know, they're, they're responsible for a lot of horrific shit. The, the exploitation of women, um, there's something called a country marriage. So when uh, European settlers came over under the instruction of the Hudson's Bay that they were to take on what was called country wives, and that was to basically take on indigenous women as wives for for political reasons for also you know reasons of you know uh, we call it company for the men um and what happened when european women came over the hudson's bay encouraged uh the settler men to abandon the indigenous women uh and take up uh european wives and have and marry them in a in a church and so essentially what happened is these indigenous uh, women were abandoned with children some cases were killed um, so it kind of just it kind of speaks into a little bit about um, you know the missing and murdered indigenous women how they were they our women have you been you been viewed as a commodity as, as something that can be used and then discarded um, so that mentality is still alive and fresh today. When you go and look at these man camps, thousand uh, occupants uh, at these man camps, um, they're there, you know, destroying the earth through resource extraction, which is what the Hudson's Bay did through the resource extraction of of fur. Um, and then the mim- the women, uh, the majority of women who go missing, uh, have been identified to be within very close proximity to these man camps mm-hmm. uh, so women who not only are, are, are going being murdered and going missing um, and being abused so that 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 settler uh, mindset has been ingrained in the population for 345 years and is still happening today based on something that they did and then the big picture uh, the point of my installation are the performance piece is that uh, during the smallpox ac- epidemic, um, it was said that it was the Hudson's Bay blankets that were used, the rationed blankets that were used to I spread think the you smallpox. Told me that. I remember this somewhere. Yeah. So I mean, you can you can look you can look up the research on that. It's pre- there's there's a bunch out there. there. There's there's none that really like confirm confirm, but it was written in in uh, I think it was uh, Amherst uh, War Journals. Um, that, you know, it was implied that what if we did this? And then, and then clearly it happened. So it was a clear, uh, calculated uh, biological attack against Indigenous people. And the Hudson's Bay's role in that was providing the blankets. Hmm. Whether they were they knew it was going to happen, I'm not implying that they knew it would happen, but I just feel like that blanket is a symbol of, of genocide. And when I see people wearing that, I often, uh, I often mess with people when I see them wearing it. I, well, not mess with them. I, I tell them. But one, one lady um, one day was walking past me. I was in my car, and she was driving. I was driving past, and I saw her, and we kind of get stuck behind another car. And I roll down my window, and I see her. She's got the jacket on and the mitts, and her little dumb dog has a, you know, Hudson's Bay jacket on. And I say to her, um, excuse me, ma'am. 
um, you know, and I kind of imply that I'm, you know, maybe lost or looking for judging. She comes all runs up to the car one day. Yeah. Hi, what's up? And I was like, did you know that your outfit uh, symbolizes the genocide of indigenous people? And she was just like, oh, and like turns and storms off. And I just my friend who was in the car with me just kind of like, really, you just did that? And I'm like, ah. I was just kind of <laughs> messed with her a little bit. But, you know, it was doing some brain surgery. there. Yeah. You know, but for me, that was that was a little bit of the lead up into doing the performance piece and mm -hmm. um i think it was uh, it gave me a bit of insight of what people don't really know and then when i did the performance piece i went down to the hudson's bay doing this piece and i would engage in people and people have no idea about the history of the hudson's bay company and it's not even a canadian company anymore it's owned by a, a u.s company now um but you know people should be made aware about where they're shopping and 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 the people and the companies that they support you have a duty um to not support genocide you know not support exploitive companies hmm. jay thanks so much man it's been a pleasure for it's always great time. talking to you